0: What do I do when people I look up to really disappoint me? Hey, what's up? This is Cherie at Bible Project. In this episode, we're learning from Carissa— She's walking us through the book of Kings, where we discover a long line of disappointing leaders. You and I both know how painful it is when someone we admire lets us down. So what do we do? We'll have a chance to reflect on this together
1: after the Bible reading. So stay tuned and listen in. In the previous book, the book of Samuel, we met Israel's first kings, Saul and then David. The book of Kings picks up the story and traces the lines of Israel's kings, over 40 kings, all the way until the nation's exile. So why is the author telling us about so many kings? What's the message? Well, first, let's remember that by the end of the book, the people are in exile. So they're reflecting on their situation, how they got there, and whether God will be faithful to his promise to their forefathers and to David. You might remember that in Second Samuel 7, God made a promise to David that even after he died, his kingdom would endure forever and that a king from his line would also build a house or a temple for Yahweh. So as we enter the story of kings, we're looking for this king to come who will lead the people in following God and will bring about God's ultimate plan of dwelling among his people, just as in the garden of Genesis 1 and 2. After David dies, his son Solomon is anointed as king. As readers, we're meant to be asking, is this the one? And the writer is highlighting a lot of good qualities about this king. And this is meant to shape our expectations about what this righteous king to come will be like. There are two things in particular that the author highlights about Solomon that are really positive. First, he's incredibly wise, so much so that the nations, whom the queen of Sheba represents, recognize his wisdom is from God. This is a hint that the ideal king will be wise and will be honored by the nations. The second really significant thing that Solomon does is build God's temple, and it's a magnificent temple. So we learn to expect that God dwelling among his people is connected to this ideal king to come. So let's talk about this temple a bit because it's really significant. The author goes to great lengths to provide detail about the building plans of the temple. Now, this is not primarily so that the readers can learn the dimensions of the temple, but rather so that readers can understand the experience that a person would have when they enter the temple. The temple was filled with imagery from the Garden of Eden, both how it's described in Genesis and also in the Prophets. There are images of trees, fruit, animals, cherubim colors and gold and precious stones it's a bit like the sistine chapel where the pope is the walls and the ceilings are covered in images that are meant to draw people into an experience of the whole biblical story in this case of solomon's temple the imagery upon entering would draw the worshiper into the story of the garden where humans and god dwelled together And so the temple was God's way of restoring that ideal fellowship on earth. It's a place where heaven and earth meet. Solomon's temple shows us that the ideal king will be one who will bring about God's ideal design of humanity dwelling with him as in the garden. This is important. But as we read on, the author gives hints that Solomon is not the one. He actually spends more time building his personal palace than God's temple. He ends up depending on the wealth of other nations rather than God. He marries a ton of women, and ultimately he turns away from worshiping God and instead worships the gods of other nations. So the reader is forced to look beyond him for fulfillment of the promise God made to David. As a result of Solomon turning away from God, the kingdom splits into the north and the south, into Israel and Judah. The readers are meant to continue watching the kings of both nations to see when the promised one will come. We're meant to especially keep our eyes on the southern kingdom of Judah since this is where David's line rules. But king after king disappoints, and the kingdoms crash and burn. When Israel falls in 2 Kings 17, the author makes clear that the main problem for both Israel and Judah is the people's lack of faith or trust in Yahweh. Throughout the book, you'll probably notice that it's said that the kings followed in the footsteps of Jeroboam, meaning that they continued to promote worship of other gods. Jeroboam had actually set up golden calves at Bethel and Dan. So the kings and the people refuse to trust and unite themselves to Yahweh. Eventually, both kingdoms are taken into exile, first Israel by Assyria and then Judah by Babylon. And this is where the story ends, with exile. So the question why the exile is answered clearly in the book. The people chose to worship the gods of the nations, so God gave them over to those nations. And the question of God's faithfulness to his promise? Well, the book ends with a thread of hope. Even though the kingdoms were destroyed, David's great-great-great-great-grandchild, Jehoiachin, even though exiled to Babylon, is still alive and for some reason is being treated well there. The point is, God was not giving up on Israel or their king to come. But it's also clear that these human kings were so opposed to him, and even the better ones like David and Solomon fell short of uniting the kingdom and bringing peace with God and nations. And so the book points forward to an ideal king to come, one that will uniquely be able to lead God's people with wisdom, who will unite the nations, and who will create a way for God's presence to dwell among his people. And you probably already know where this is going. This is exactly who Jesus is. He's in the family of King David, filled with wisdom. He's God himself dwelling or tabernacling among his people. He's the true temple, inviting people of all nations into God's presence. 1
2: Kings six twenty-three 23-31 For the inner sanctuary, he made a pair of cherubim out of olive wood, each ten cubits high. One wing of the first cherub was five cubits long, and the other wing, five cubits, ten cubits from wingtip to wingtip. The second cherub also measured ten cubits, for the two cherubim were identical in size and shape. The height of each cherub was ten cubits. He placed the cherubim inside the innermost room of the temple, with their wings spread out. The wing of one cherub touched one wall, while the wing of the other touched the other wall, and their wings touched each other in the middle of the room. He overlaid the cherubim with gold. On the walls all around the temple, in both the inner and outer rooms, he carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. He also covered the floors of both the inner and outer rooms of the temple with gold. For the entrance to the inner sanctuary, he made doors out of olive wood, that were one-fifth of the width of the Sanctuary." 1 Kings 6, 23-31
0: Now let's summarize what we've heard so far. The Book of Kings reflects on how Israel ended up in exile. Promising kings failed. The people walked out on the true god and worshiped idols that couldn't save them but god would still keep his promise the promised king would still come this king would be the true david and a better solomon he would lead god's people with wisdom unite the nations and make a way for god's presence to be close to his people this is exactly who jesus is he's the promised and perfect king so wherever people disappoint King Jesus is right there, inviting us into the beauty of his temple, his perfect presence. So let's take time now to begin to let that really settle in. I have three things for you to consider today. Listen in, and just press pause if you want more time. Alright, here's our first question. Are you disappointed with someone right now? Okay, Take some time to express just exactly how you feel in a prayer to God right now. All right, for our second reflection, Consider Jesus. How has he faced similar disappointments? Where you felt betrayed, he's felt it too. Think about it and take some time to empathize with him. And now for a last reflection, let's remember, where people fall short, Jesus measures up. His perfect presence can restore and heal our disappointments. So what specific quality of Jesus can you rely on in place of the disappointment? Hey, thanks for joining us for today's reflection. Now, before we go, let's pray together. Jesus, when I think about who you are and your perfection, and then I see the imperfections of those around me who've disappointed me, I I realize that there's hope that you can overcome, that you can fill and restore and heal all the areas of lack. And so I look to you, God, and I ask that you would restore every place where I've been wounded by leaders who've disappointed me. And I also humble myself because I know I've disappointed others. I want you to restore the people that I've hurt and me. I want you to restore me so that my leadership can look more like yours. Thank you for hearing my heart, God. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Want to reflect more on this lesson? There's a video and more detailed questions for personal study and group discussion. Check it out at BibleProject.com study. Today's message was by Dr. Carissa Quinn. Our show production and scripture reading was by Dan Gummel. Thanks, Dan. Our theme music by Grant William Harold. And I'm Shree Hayes, your host. Reflections is more than a podcast. It's a community of friends who are reflecting on the Bible all throughout the week. Friends like Donna... Hey, I'm Donna from Sydney, Australia, and I like to start my week with Reflections by listening on my Monday morning commute. Share the Reflections community with others. Invite your friends today. Bible Project is a crowdfunded nonprofit located in Portland, Oregon. We provide free resources so we can all experience the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. It's free because of the generosity of people like you from all around the world. Thank you.